Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to ASP Stories again this week. For those of you who are hearing this for the first time, this is not our standard format. The Adventure Sports Podcast is all about interviewing amazing guests, amazing adventurers, so that we can learn more about adventure sports and be encouraged to get out there and have some fun. But these Saturday episodes are bonus episodes. These are readings that relate to adventure and nature. This book is a book that I wrote 20 years ago entitled 8240, One Family's Life Above the Clouds. And if you didn't hear the first segment, you might want to go back and listen to that one so that with this one, you can pick up where that one left off. These are not really long episodes, just enough to kind of wet your whistle on a Saturday morning for adventure and for connecting with nature. I want to say a special thank you to all of you who did respond back. We had lots of of nice, positive responses, people saying that, yes, it is worth it, that you enjoyed the readings and you think it's a great idea. We plan also, after we finish 8240, to move on and hopefully have some of our guests read excerpts from their books. We have so many guests who have written amazing, adventurous books and provide you a little bit of extra Saturday morning entertainment that way. So that's what it's all about. There's quite a bit of spirit talk in this segment, but I want you to know this is not a religious book. It's just a segment about how nature impacted me. Thank you again for your kind words and responses. And now, without further ado, we're going to continue on to the second segment of 8240, One Family's Life Above the Clouds. Rhythm of 8240 Living at 8240 brings a different rhythm to life. The lifestyle of the suburbs will not work here. The urban sprawl that seems to be shaping popular cities all over the United States brings with it opportunities and curses. There is opportunity for many to live in new, rather large homes. Easy credit and high employment rates have given this generation access to housing that previous generations reserved only for the wealthiest. Still, this housing has hidden curses. Developers have found that they make more profit if they maximize a number of domiciles per acre of land. It seems that people are willing to pay for a large house with little room around it. Houses get stacked on top of houses. There are windows in the front of such a house, but often the sides of the houses are virtually solid wall. This is because another house sits within spitting distance. Looking out a side window into a neighbor's at this distance would place a neighbor's space literally closer to one's viewing point than the opposing wall in the room of the viewer. This tends to detract from the feelings of autonomy and individuality, not to mention privacy. So houses are pressed together, and there's not room for nature to make much impact on the lives of the residents. There are postage-stamped lawns grown with chemicals, protected with poison, and watered with chlorinated, human-made rain. This is acceptable to many. The suburbs are an improvement over apartment life, where one's front door opens into a dark, long hallway. In the subdivisions, there's a little room to breathe— Sort of. With air conditioning, video games, and home theater systems, people don't need to go outside. The garden is a sterile grocery store. The place of work is too far for walking. Even the car is tucked into the garage, so there's no actual need to walk outside between the front door and the vehicle. It's possible now for people to go days without a single breath of outside air. 
A friend pointed out that he observed his neighbors backing their cars out of their garages, breaking long enough to scoop up the morning news without even setting one foot out of the car, and then they shoot off down the street for the office. House, garage, car, traffic, parking garage, elevator, desk, usually a cube without a window. This is the habitat of the suburbanite. Perhaps that's for the best. With the poor air quality which is created by this urban sprawl, it's often unwise to breathe outside air anyway. How has such a large percentage of our population been stripped of almost all interaction with the natural world? I don't want to sound critical of the lifestyles of those who live in these conditions. Many are quite satisfied with suburbia and take offense at the mention that the world is less than ideal. They work hard to afford this lifestyle, and they do live in spacious housing, at least spacious on the inside. I simply describe the world to provide the necessary contrast to life in the woods at 8240. I know that many people would not want to live at 8240. It's a challenging lifestyle. One cannot slip past nature here. One's forced to work with nature. This creates the different rhythm. A life in the mountains begs for us to take life more slowly. It challenges us to notice the sunrise and to taste the air. If we fail to meet this challenge, we will still be forced to notice the heaps of snow as we shovel out our trails to our cars. We cannot deny the winter winds that scream through the trees, and it's impossible to miss the feeling of the high-altitude sun on a bright spring morning. Humans are designed to relate to nature. We eat foods grown in dirt. We drink water that falls from the sky. We breathe air that flows throughout the biosphere, refreshed by green plants, rain, snow, and lightning. We require at least a few minutes of sunshine each day to produce enough vitamin D to allow the absorption of calcium into our bodies. Without this sunlight, growth is stunted and bones grow soft and fragile. We're undeniably linked to the natural world. It's simple to point out the human connection to nature on the physical level, but there's also a connection on the spiritual level. Until one experiences this spiritual connection, it's difficult to understand it. But when one does experience it, it is undeniably etched into the depths of his or her being. I look out my window as I write. The early morning light is filtered by the green trees as it sweeps in at a low trajectory. All is silent, very still, except one lone aspen leaf 40 yards away. It shimmers in the magical light. I see it. I'm touched by it. Why does it move? Is there a microscopic breeze that touched only the one leaf, or did a tiny finch brush against it as it swooped through the dense woods? Could it be that a large beetle or a larva walked too far out onto this leaf and fell as it gave way? What does the health of that caterpillar have to do with my own health? Has that finch been looking in the window and watching me write? Will I feel that micro breeze against my cheek as I walk out to my truck this morning? Does that all sound trivial? It's not trivial to those whose spirits have been touched and shaped by the creation. There's a connectedness between our lives and every other condition of the biosphere. All life is interconnected in some way, and all life is connected to wind, water, earth, and light. Living close to nature seems to make these connections more apparent. More important than the connections between these things is the balance that exists between virtually every living thing on the planet. The Creator designed the natural order of things to maintain such a balance, and various ecosystems and balances have existed from epoch to epoch since the beginning of time. When the balance is disrupted, all of the creation suffers in one way or another. 
On the physical level, some disruptions have brought about cataclysmic endings to entire populations of life on Earth. Natural history illustrates several such events that changed the biosphere so completely that planet-wide ecosystems were destroyed, and new balances were then established with new types of plants, animals, and environments. There is also a spiritual balance that is a deeply rooted part of the creation. Most of humanity has lost touch with this balance. Part of the reason that we have lost this spiritual sensitivity is because we've lost our understanding of our place in nature. We have removed ourselves from the general revelation of creation. The farther humanity is removed from the balance of nature, the more difficult it becomes for humanity to find spiritual rightness. Have you ever really wanted to feel like you were truly good? Have you ever felt excitement yet darkness inside when you taste of evil? Have you yearned for something more inwardly, some correction of the spirit within? Has your heart ached to find a quiet place or simply to slow down long enough to breathe? Do you feel like a ball in a pinball machine, spinning and bouncing from bumper to bell? Where did we come from? Why are we here? What will happen when we breathe our last breath? Nature does not have explicit answers to these questions, but it does reflect a pathway toward spiritual rightness. Many speak of enlightenment as the goal of the human spirit. Certainly nature provides much enlightenment. Understanding the balance of the creation and flowing in that balance brings about an inner rightness that certainly makes one feel enlightened. But I must say that knowledge alone will never heal the spirit within. Have you ever been touched by a song on the radio and then felt the longing to see the artist sing the song rather than just hearing it? Have you ever wanted to meet the artist personally and ask him or her questions about the music and the lyrics? Have you ever wanted to join in the song and be a part of its movements? If you have, then you know that enlightenment is not enough. It's a nebulous target that can disappoint the soul. Enlightenment can be understood as a nearly supernatural understanding of the song. Sure, it's meaningful, and wisdom can be drawn from such meaning. Life choices can be based on this wisdom, but the spirit will not be satisfied until it knows intimately the creator of the song. Our hearts cry out for spiritual relationship. More than a song reflects the heart of the writer, the creation shows the love, omniscience, and omnipotence of the creator. An understanding of the song draws us to the musician. An understanding of the balance of nature draws us to God. Life at 8240 brings a constant reminder of this dynamic. Nature is alive and powerful all around us here. I would never say that spiritual growth can only be found through nature, but I will say that communing with nature certainly helps. The rhythm of life at 8240 calls us to notice the handiwork of the Creator. The exaggerated forces of nature in this environment humble us and require us to move at a different pace. It is a healthy pace if one learns to flow with it rather than to fight and despise it. It's the rhythm of mountain living. It's the rhythm of 8240. I like to take a few minutes to be alone, to observe, and to think. These small snippets of time are far too few. This is spirit time. It's a time for growing on the inside. It's a time for healing and for discovery. During these times, dreams are developed and plans are made. Internal conflicts are resolved and fresh resolutions are engineered. For over a decade, I've turned to the mountains to find special places that provide just the right setting for such insightful moments. I return to these locales from time to time and consider them to be holy to me. 
They're not holy because they've somehow been blessed by a holy man or cleansed and protected. Rather, they're holy, perhaps only to me, and this by the simplest definition of holy. In ancient Hebrew, the word translated into the English word holy is kadash. This word is translated less flamboyantly as dedicated or separate. A place, a day, a ceremony, or an event can be considered holy by the simple definition, just determined that this whatever will be forever special to you, set aside from the rest of daily life and normalcy. This whatever may never actually achieve the ultimate goal of purity or of being completely absent of any sort of evil, but it can be special, respected, and honored. I have dedicated in my own way a handful of places as quote-unquote holy for me. There's one such place in which Anne first confessed her love for me as we snuggled under a large granite rock while a mountain storm raged through the peaks. In another place, I sat in a tree for hours as I struggled to, and eventually did, internally reconcile my struggling relationship with my father. This tree provides a view of the continental divide on one side and the vast high plains on the other. From there, I've watched the sunset and the full moon rise. I've listened to coyotes yelping in the distance. From this tree, the wind has blown away my cares. There is a place on a new property that's holy to me in this simple way. To the south of the house, the terrain climbs to some rock outcroppings in the trees. In the evening, when the sun is setting to the west, the filtered light creates a magical glow over our small property. The greens of the pine trees are much richer. Some of the blue of the spectrum is absent, and there's more gold and pink. These colors highlight not only the pine needles, but also the wildflowers that shine with every color of the rainbow. There's a very soft light, but also glorious. The view from here is not spectacular, but from this spot I can survey our plot and can see glimpses through the trees of the high plains in the distance. From this small rock seat, I can still hear the muffled sounds of my wife and children in the house. I can watch the dogs play. I can see the results of dozens of our projects over which I've labored with care. I can also see the things yet undone. These undone things challenge me to plan and to dream. This is a perfect spot to step away from my life and yet still be close enough to observe it. I can watch as through dreaming as I remember time shared with my family. I can almost see the future as I visualize the new addition or a rock fence that will highlight an embankment or perhaps help define the limits of our driveway. I can see my son about 10 years from now racing around the back of the property in a go-kart, and I can see my daughter, now only one, someday playing volleyball or tanning in the yard. Here, I can pray about the present and the future and purpose to make things better. Better. Always improving. The mountains draw this sort of experience out of me. Perhaps it's the sheer size of these Alps that makes me introspective. Perhaps it's the weather or the purity of nature. I know that at times, it's the wind that makes me feel so philosophical and thankful. Studies have shown that constant winds, waterfalls, lightning, and a few other natural events cause an increased concentration of certain ions in the air. It is supposed that as we breathe these ions, an endorphin release is triggered in our bloodstreams. This endorphin brings a state of comfort and a feeling of well-being. This may be true, or it might not. All I know is that I feel high when I take the time to soak up the majesty and the beauty of the mountain vistas. It's nice to see the vastness of the land and the power of the weather and to feel small. It's good to be reminded of our place in the grand scope of the universe. Sure, this is humbling, but it also makes the lesser cares of life seem small as well. 
These experiences remind us to celebrate mere existence and not to take life too seriously. What will it matter in the grand scheme of things if you had an uncomfortable exchange with your boss? What lasting impact will there be if your house is not kept as perfectly clean as you may like? It really does not matter in the big picture that you were caught in a traffic jam today. All these things impact our lives, but there are more important reasons for existence. There are more important, encompassing truths that guide our lives. C.S. Lewis put it quite well, If one seeks comfort, this comfort will never be found completely. However, if one seeks truth, then both truth and comfort can be gained. The mountains remind me of truth, of the big picture that really matters. And comfort, I am comforted by this truth. I awake early this morning to write. It's 5.30, July 4th, a day to spend away from the office. The alarm clock rouses me, but it's the sunrise that wakes me. I sneak out onto the deck and I face east. The sun is behind South Boulder Peak. The sky above and around the peak is brilliant pink. Small clouds float above the peak like blazing fireballs or perhaps burning cotton candy. The air is pure. The round thermostat nestled in the boughs of our juniper testifies. It's 52 degrees. A pink glow permeates the creation. I sneak back inside for a turtleneck and sweatpants. Every window seeps altered light. I look out the window as I dress. Now the edge of the sun peaks from behind the mountain. The ponderosas, wax currants, and low maple shrubs are highlighted with a pink hue. My white dogs, pink in this light, stare at me from the yard. They don't make a sound. They understand. This moment is good medicine. They will honor it. Back in the house, I savor a hot cup of black tea. Preparing the tea is a ritual. Water is heated. Loose tea leaves are steeped, then filtered. Add raw sugar, just a little, and a dash of milk. Ah, to live life so well every day, that's my passion, to draw from each moment the beauty and the richness that it deserves. The light outside is golden now. Friends will visit today, and there will be fireworks over a mountain reservoir this evening. I feel blessed by the morning and the promise of the day. I purpose to watch the sunrise often. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Hey, we have a new sponsor on the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm excited about this one. Action Heat is a line of clothing that actually weaves heating elements into the clothes. It works similarly to how a car seat is heated, except that it runs off a little rechargeable battery pack. And this battery pack can last up to 12 hours on a charge. It can also recharge your cell phone or other devices, so it's multi-purpose. And they have all kinds of options here. Hats, they have jackets, they have shirts. They have socks, they have gloves, they even have undergarments like long johns. Man, they will keep you cozy from head to toe. Action Heat, you can get it at action 
heat.com forward slash adventure. Please do use the forward slash adventure for two reasons. For one, that's how they know that you heard about them from us. For two, it saves you 15%. So how cool is that? Your holiday shopping is done. All you have to do is go to action-heat.com forward slash adventure. Another morning, I'm roused from a deep sleep by an angry squawking just outside our window. It's a little after six, and the low morning sunshine makes rectangles on our west wall. Squawk! 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 My mind finally focuses. What is all the fuss about, I wonder? Slowly, from some experience in my past, I remember this sound. It sounds like a couple of angry blue jays. Wait. No, not blue jays. Stellar's jays. I'm fully awake now. These birds are no more than ten feet from our open window, screaming back and forth like banshees. I quietly roll out of bed as if to keep Anne from waking. No doubt she's awake by now. A glance out the window confirms my groggy memory. There are two stellar jays flittering from limb to limb, screeching, but not at each other. They're scolding someone on the ground. This I must see. I slip out onto our second-level deck. Sure enough, there in a patch of golden sunshine is lying disinterested, but perhaps a little annoyed, a small red fox. Mr. Fox appears quite tired after a hard night of hunting and scavenging for food. All he's interested in at this moment is a snooze in the early morning sunshine, but the jays are relentless. This mating pair must have a nest nearby. Funny that I'd not noticed these reclusive birds nesting here earlier. Now I cannot miss them for all the fuss they're making. Stellar's jays cast shadow similar to that of blue jays. They're fairly large birds with long tail feathers and a tuft of feathers on their crown. They look quite stately. The blue jays seem to rule the roost back in Oklahoma. For some reason, the other smaller birds scatter when the blue jays swoop down out of the trees to forage on the ground. I wonder if these stellar jays get the same respect. They certainly don't from the fox. His ears twitch as I shuffle on the deck, but he's quite ignoring the stellar's jays. Blue jays have light blue backs and wings with white bellies and gray at the top of their chests. When they fly, they flash white and blue tail feathers. Stellar jays, in contrast, are quite dark with indigo that fades into black. In the shade, they almost look pure black. But this morning sunlight reveals the indigo of their plumage. Their dark color makes them seem even more reclusive. Hiding in dense pine branches, they almost disappear in the shadows. This morning... The jays are more interested in the fox than they are in me. They do fly farther away when I appear, but their screams are still directed at the fox. One of the jays flies down to the ground where his plumage is lit by the sun. Yes, he is a beautiful bird. The show continues for about 15 minutes. Finally, the fox and the jays move on. I'm fascinated by the light-footed gait of the fox. It almost seems that he's floating just above the ground rather than walking on it. I cannot hear his footfalls. He moves smoothly and speedily into the woods. My interest in the fox is not the same as the jay's interest, but I thank them for waking me to share the experience. Another glorious morning at 
I'm going to stop there. That's the end of our reading for today. I hope that you enjoyed that little insight into nature and into what it means to live at altitude or in the woods in general. You know, adventure sometimes is fast and crazy and and thrilling, but at other times, adventure is really about encountering nature and seeing something as if for the first time, encountering our world in a new way, and hopefully these readings will do just that for you. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast and this bonus episode of 8240, One Family's Life Above the Clouds. We hope you guys enjoyed it and come back for another chapter. Please be sure to leave us a comment on our website at adventuresportspodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Don't forget, you can also help to keep this show going by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. A lot of work goes into this show. We can certainly use your help to keep the great interviews coming. Until the next time, get out and have some fun.